Section Zero of How to Sing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. How to Sing by Lily Lehman. Translated by Richard Aldrich. Preface to the Revised Edition. The object of the first edition is attained. The book has opened the eyes of many to the nature of the art of song. All those who have anything to say or write must expect to meet misinterpretations. There are just as many ideas and modes of expressing the same thing as there are listeners and readers. I have endeavoured in this second edition to forestall misinterpretations and to express better what I had to say in the first. It must not be thought that I lay claim to anything new, but I do lay claim to having translated that which has often been said, and likewise misunderstood, into the language of the singer who can only guide himself by tone sensations and learn therefrom. Only a few are chosen. Not all can become great artists. But every one who devotes himself earnestly to this vocation should endeavour to attain the highest efficiency. Even though the theatre has experienced an incisive reform, and will again and again, I do not see why we should not hold ourselves responsible for the technique of the art of song, the beauty and the preservation of the human voice, of which we shall always stand in need. Without a thorough knowledge of technique, the art is an impossibility or is insufficient. To keep our bodies supple and healthy, we take gymnastic exercises. Why, then, should not singers also take daily gymnastic exercises with their vocal organs, so as to preserve their material for their profession? Technique is inseparable from art. Only by mastering the technique of his material is the artist in a condition to mould his mental work of art and to again give it, his possession borrowed from life, to others. Even artists intellectually highly gifted remain crippled without this mastery of the technique. Surely every great artist has now and then experienced it himself. Only because I feel myself so small and imperfect in the face of our great art of song, only because I see how much there is still left to learn, do I from the bottom of my heart wish and hope that others will do it better than I, to whom no one will be able to deny at least two things, seriousness and the highest respect for art and capability. Lily Lehmann, Schaffling, Montsee, January 1914 My Purpose My purpose is to discuss simply, intelligently, yet from a practical standpoint, sensations known to us in singing, and exactly ascertained in my experience, by the expressions singing open, covered, dark, nasal, in the head, or in the neck, forward, or back. 
these expressions correspond to our sensations in singing but they are unintelligible as long as the causes of those sensations are unknown and each one has a different idea of their meaning many singers try their whole lives long to produce them and never succeed this happens because science understands too little of singing the singer too little of science I mean that the physiological explanations of the highly complicated processes of singing are not plainly enough put for the singer, who must depend chiefly on his vocal sensations. Scientific men are not at all agreed as to the exact functions of the several organs, and the fewest singers are informed on the subject. Every serious artist has a sincere desire to help others reach the goal, the goal toward which all singers are striving, to sing well and beautifully. The true art of song has always been possessed and will always be possessed by such individuals as are dowered by nature with all that is needful for it, that is, healthy vocal organs, uninjured by vicious habits of speech, a good ear, a talent for singing, intelligence, industry, and energy. In former times, eight years were devoted to the study of singing, at the Prague Conservatory, for instance. Most of the mistakes and misunderstandings of the pupil could be discovered before he secured an engagement, and the teacher could spend so much time in correcting them that the pupil learned to pass judgment on himself properly. But art today must be pursued like everything else by steam. Artists are turned out in factories, that is, in so-called conservatories, or by teachers who give lessons ten or twelve hours a day. In two years they receive a certificate of competence, or at least the teacher's diploma of the factory. The latter especially I consider a crime that the State should prohibit. All the inflexibility and unskilfulness, mistakes and deficiencies, which were formerly disclosed during a long course of study, do not appear now under the factory system until the student's public career has begun. There can be no question of correcting them, for there is no time, no teacher, no critic and the executant has learned nothing, absolutely nothing, whereby he could undertake to distinguish or correct them. The incompetence and lack of talent, whitewashed over by the factory concern, lose only too soon their plausible brilliancy. A failure in life is generally the sad end of such a factory product, and to factory methods the whole art of song is more and more given over as a sacrifice. My artistic conscience urges me to disclose all that I have learned, and that has become clear to me in the course of my career, for the benefit of art, and to give up my secrets, which seem to be secrets only because students so rarely pursue the path of proper study to its end. If artists, often such only in name, come to a realisation of their deficiencies, they lack only too frequently the courage to acknowledge them to others. 
not until we artists all reach the point when we can take counsel with each other about our mistakes and deficiencies, and discuss the means for overcoming them, putting our pride in our pockets, will bad singing and inartistic effort be checked, and our noble art of singing come into its rights again. My title to write on the art of song. Rarely are so many desirable and necessary antecedents united as in my case. The child of two singers, my mother being gifted musically quite out of the common, and active for many years not only as a dramatic singer, but also as a harp virtuoso, I, with my sister Marie, received a very careful musical education, and, later, a notable course of instruction in singing from her. From my fifth year on, I listened daily to singing lessons. From my ninth year, I played accompaniments on the pianoforte, sang all the missing parts in French, Italian, German, and Bohemian, got thoroughly familiar with all the operas, and very soon knew how to tell good singing from bad. Our mother took care, too, that we should hear all the visiting notabilities of that time, in opera as well as in concert, and there were many of them every year at the Deutsches Landestheater in Prague. She herself had found a remarkable singing teacher in the Frankfurt Basso, Furpel, and kept her voice noble, beautiful, young and strong to the end of her life, that is, till her seventy-seventh year, notwithstanding enormous demands upon it and many a blow of fate. She could diagnose a voice infallibly, but required a probation of three to four months to test talent and power of making progress. I have been on the stage since my eighteenth year, that is, for thirty-four years. In Prague I took part every day in operas, operettas, plays, and farces. Thereafter, in Danzig, I sang from eighteen to twenty times a month in coloratura and soubrette parts also in Leipzig, and later fifteen years in Berlin. In addition, I sang in very many oratorios and concerts, and gave lessons now and then. As long as my mother lived, she was my severest critic, never satisfied. Finally, I became such for myself. Now, fifteen years more have passed, of which I spent eight very exacting ones as a dramatic singer in America, afterward fulfilling engagements as a star in all languages in Germany, Austria, Hungary, France, England, and Sweden. Nevertheless, my study of singing experienced no retrogression. I kept it up more and more zealously by myself, learned something from everybody, learned to hear myself and others. For many years I have been devoting myself to the important questions relating to singing, and believe that I have finally found what I have been seeking. It has been my endeavour to set down as clearly as possible all that I have learned through zealous, conscientious study, by myself and with others, and thereby to offer to my colleagues something that will bring order into the chaos of their methods of singing something based on science as well as on sensations in singing, something that will bring expressions often misunderstood 
into clear relation with the exact functions of the vocal organs. In what I have just said, I wish to give a sketch of my career only to show what my voice has endured, and why, notwithstanding the enormous demands I have made upon it, it has lasted so well. One who has sung for a short time and then has lost his voice, and for this reason becomes a singing teacher, has never sung consciously. It has simply been an accident, and this accident will be repeated, for good or for ill, in his pupils. The talent in which all the requirements of an artist are united is very rare. Real talent will get along, even with an inferior teacher, in some way or another. While the best teacher cannot produce talent where there is none. Such a teacher, however, will not beguile people with promises that cannot be kept. My chief attention I devote to artists, whom I can, perhaps, assist in their difficult but glorious profession. One is never done with learning, and that is especially true of singers. I earnestly hope that I may leave them something in my researches, experiences, and studies that will be of use. I regard it as my duty, and I confide it to all who are striving earnestly for improvement. Grunewald, October the 31st, 1900 End of section zero.